It is bowl game time for the Oregon State Beavers. They will play Saturday in the Jimmy Kimmel L.A. Bowl in Los Angeles at SoFi Stadium against the Utah State Aggies. There to cover it will be our very own Nick Daschle. I am Aaron Fentress of the Oregonian and Oregon Live. This is the Beaver Banter Podcast. And after a couple weeks off, the Beavers are going to hit the field in a bowl game for the first time since 2013 in Los Angeles. Covering the team is Nick. Nick, just your instant impressions of how the team's handling the bowl week, how practices have gone, uh, your sense of how the team has prepared for this game. And of course, that stadium. Tell us all about it. It's nice. Looks like your house. <laughs> Maybe I don't. Well, know. I, have a pool, I, I so. should say I should <laughs> say it's what I envisioned your house looks like. I've never actually seen your house, but but I'm sure yours is close to a five billion. That's by design. Five billion dollar uh, house, but uh, um, no, I, Oregon State's obviously pretty excited about playing in this game, seeing as it's been you know, eight years since they played in a bowl game and, and nobody on this roster has played in a bowl game for Oregon State. A couple guys have participated in bowl games at other programs, but no one in a meaningful role. So, I mean, there's guys that have been on this, on this roster for five and six years that have been waiting for this chance. And so, yeah, I mean, I went to practice today. It's the first time I've seen a practice since fall camp. Um, you know, because they don't, they don't allow the media into practices, which is the case for virtually every school in the country. But Oregon State was kind enough to allow us to watch today. And, um, you know, enthusiasm was, was good. And, you know, they moved around and I saw a lot of smiles, saw one of the new recruits there. Uh, uh, the guy had signed today. Um, yeah, I, I'm, I mean, I think they're, they're ready to, get after it on Saturday in, in, in that SoFi Palace. So just how awesome is the stadium and have the players talked about it at all? Well, they go, they see it Friday and, you know, of course oh, they haven't seen it yet. What? No, no, they, they go through Friday. They, well, they got down, they got to LA yesterday, Tuesday. Oh, okay. And so, uh, they didn't have a practice yesterday. Today they had a practice and they went to Universal Studios. Tomorrow it's, practice and the Jimmy Kimmel show and Friday it's a you know a, a walkthrough in the stadium and that's when you know both teams will go through there on Friday they'll get all their photos and you know check out the field and that, it's really an important walkthrough I think because you don't want to you don't want to be going through that stadium for the first time on game day you want to get that stuff out of the way cuz I mean it's 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 a spectacle it's I mean that's a five billion dollar building. Uh, a lady last night that was, you know, taking me to the to the stadium for a press conference because I was using Uber told me that, you know, the grounds itself three times the size of Disneyland. I mean it's an enormous. It's enormous. Um, I was up in one of the suites last night, and yeah, I could live there. I could live <laughs> in one of those suites. That was that. Was, but yeah, that it's it's built. It's kind of built more vertically, so a lot of the seats are, you know, pretty. Uh, most of the seats are pretty close to the field, so you know, there's not really too many bad seats in the house. And then if you, you know, even if you did have a bad seat, the 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 screen is so enormous you can't, you know, you won't be able to miss any any of the action. So yeah, Saturday should be it should be quite a game experience for these guys because they'll none of them have you know 
been through a, a game like this on, on a in a stadium like this. Right. All right. Well, let's get to this matchup a little bit first. Let's start with uh, just who do you th- which team do you think is more motivated in this game? Clearly, we all know Oregon State hasn't been to a bowl game in since 2013, so that should be a huge motivation. But do you think either team has a motivation advantage? You know, I, I really don't. And, you know, that's always a big thing in a bowl game is, you know, who wants to be there the most? And, you know, right. like you're going to, you're going to look at the Oregon, you know, Oregon's bowl game. And I, I'm sure there's a lot of people are going to think, you know, why does Oregon even want to play in the Alamo bowl? Well, that's, that is not the case in this game. Oregon state's got, you know, the pent up eight years of wanting to, you know, participate in a postseason and, these guys have never been through it before, and they're playing in a game that you know is pretty much is pretty much stands off to itself because it's early in the bowl season where they're not really competing with any other bowl, and it's on it's on prime time in the East Coast, and and so there's plenty of reason for them to be excited. And on the flip side, Utah State, I mean, this is a big game for them. They don't they don't get to play a big time power five opponent very often in a bowl game. Um, and, and they got, they got guys in the roster. You, you know, they got guys on the roster thinking you guys overlook me. Power five schools overlook me. Well, I'm going to show you what I can do. And you know, that's going to be on their mind Saturday. They're going to try to show the country, you know, that they, they, they belong to be at a, on a big time program. And so I don't really see, this is one where both sides are going to come, Ready, ready for a fight because I, I, I think they're they're it's it's important to them. I agree. There's zero reason why both teams shouldn't be mega motivated. Clearly, Oregon State again haven't played in a bowl game since 2013. Also, I mean, the last thing you want to do in your first bowl game appearance in eight seasons is lose to a Power of Five program, right? I mean, that that necessarily wouldn't be a great look for Oregon State. So I, I imagine that might be on their minds a little bit as well. I've been going back here for Utah State and their schedule. I'm all the way back to 2007. I can't find a time where they've even played a Power Five school in a bowl game, let alone defeated one. So this would be something that would be that they haven't done in a very long time. Well, this is a huge game for the for the Pac-12 too, because of all the of all of the six bowl games they're in. This is the only game where where the Pac-12 team is the actual. Vegas favorite. Everybody else is either a is either an underdog or a you know close to a push. But mo- most of them are underdogs. Oregon State's an you know an eight point favorite in this game, which doesn't mean a lot. I mean, I don't know that Oregon State's eight points better than Utah State, but it's it's a big game in this. The first game, it's one that'll be sitting out there for a week for people to talk about in terms of. Well, here here's the Pac-12 again. Here we go. You know, if they lose, here we go. Another bad bowl season for the Pac-12. Oregon State looks good, and and they win, and you know, and and do it in impressive fashion. Then maybe that's some momentum for the rest of the conference going into you know post Christmas for the rest of the bowl games. Very true. Looking at Utah State's schedule, they defeated. Washington State in their opener, of course, that was a long time ago, and Oregon State lost at Washington State. Uh, Utah State played at Washington State. Utah State also defeated Hawaii, a team that the Beavers 
also blew out. And then the last regular season game of the season for Utah State, they took down number 19, San Diego State, 46 to 13. The rest of the games are games, obviously, against uh, teams that you would expect Oregon State to mostly defeat. Uh, but clearly there's some, there's some points of interest on the schedule that make this seem like a very, very dangerous game for Oregon State before we dive into offense versus defense, et cetera. Uh, just overall impressions of, of how dangerous Oregon or how dangerous Utah State could be for the Beavers. Oh, I mean, they, they're, they're good <laughs> and, and they have a coach that, that knows, knows what to do. He comes from Arkansas State and, uh, you know, they, they went to a bunch of bowl games when he was there and he brought some of his player, players from Arkansas. Well, he didn't bring them specifically, but they transferred to Utah State and, you know, there's some of their better players on the roster. Um, you know, that San Diego State's gonna, state game's gonna stick out to a lot of people as, wow, Utah State is really good. And, and, and they played well in that game, but boy, Utah, San Diego State was missing 20 guys because of COVID. So oh, I, I, uh, I'd like to see that one again. Just, I'm not saying the Utah State would win, but, but th- those teams certainly aren't 33 points different. That, the, San, yeah, San Diego State was missing a, a lot of players due to COVID and, and, so that really that really cut into what what that team was all about because going into the Mountain West Championship game, San Diego State had clearly been the class of that of that conference, and so I, Utah State's not thirty three points better than San Diego State. They might have won the game, but 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 regardless, I mean Utah State did win at Washington State. That's a that's a pretty impressive win. They they came from two touchdowns from behind in the fourth quarter to win that game. Um, so, I mean, this is not, this is not going to be an easy game for Oregon state. They've, they've got some guys on defense that could make plays and, and they've got a receiver that's as good as close to as good as anybody they've played outside of Drake London. You are listening to Beaver banter and we'll be right back after a quick break. Well, let's get to that offense, man, because they are, they are pretty fun to watch. Um, I, I watched the highlight, well, 20 minute highlight version of the San Diego State game. And man, they spread you out. They don't mess around. When they spread you out, they spread you out. They're, they're putting receivers as wide as possible across the field a lot of the times. They're throwing a ton. Their quarterback, Logan Bonner, threw for 3,500 yards, 36 touchdowns against 11 interceptions. Uh, they had three receivers, I think, with, um, Hold on a second. They had three three impact receivers on their roster. They had one kid who just went bullet. Where's the stats, Dan? Sorry, I'm looking at the wrong page here. Anyway, they're they're obviously stacked at the receiver position, and that's going to put a lot of pressure on clearly Oregon State to defend multiple people who can hurt who can hurt you in the passing game, especially with a quarterback who likes to sling at their leading receiver, Devin Tompkins. 96 catches, really? 1,600 yards almost, nine touchdowns. And then after that, you got two guys in the 700-yard mark area, excuse me, one with 11 touchdowns, one with nine touchdowns. That's three receivers who combined for 29 touchdowns. That is a lot for three guys to combine for on any team, and that's going to be very difficult for the Beavers to defend against. How do you think the Beavers match up against uh, Utah State's passing game? 
Yeah, I think Oregon State is uh, Rajon Wright. He, he's their leading quarterback. I think he's looking for a, he's looking for a fight here, and he, I think he wants to <laughs> he wants to he wants to go up against Devin Tompkins because he he's still thinking about whether he wants to go to the NFL or not. And I think this is a good a good situation for him to to show that you know he can shut down a big time receiver like Tompkins. Like you say, he's he's at close to sixteen hundred yards and. You know, nine touchdowns and almost a hundred catches. I mean, he he can he's double digit figures a lot of times this year. Um, so I, I I'm interested to see if they put if they put right on Tompkins. But some of these other guys are are are. I mean, when you got a guy that's got forty five catches and eleven of them for touchdowns, I mean, that's big time. So. <laughs> And the, you know, the fact, like you say, they spread, spread you out. You know, it's not like Oregon State's had a lot of success stopping big passing games this year. So they're, they're going to be in for a challenge. I'm, you know, the, the key will obviously be how much pressure can they put on Logan Bonner? They don't, they can't let him sit back there and just pick his spots. Otherwise it's, it's going to be a shootout. And I, I don't know that Oregon State can win a, you know, a, a, a 50 to 45 game. They, they got to keep, they got to keep Utah State somewhat contained. Agreed. Now they do run the football. As a matter of fact, 520 rushes this year compared to 472 passes. So technically they run the ball more often, but they're only averaging 3.6 yards per carry, 12 touchdowns on the ground compared to 39 touchdowns through the air, which is an interesting number considering that they are equal in terms of rushing attempts. Um, but clearly they run the ball when they're not as effective throwing the ball. Um, do you expect, you kind of mentioned this a little bit, but would you expect Oregon State to play it a little conservatively to try and protect against the big pass, or do you think they might man up a lot and just try to unload with pressure on Bonner? <sighs> Unclear. I, cause, because we just haven't seen enough of what Trent Bray really wants to do. And, but I'll, although I don't know if you can reinvent yourself, um, you know, in, in the, in the course of a month, he did seem to throw a few more pressures at, at, at teams the last three weeks of the season. So, I, I think they're going to try some things. Hope you know. Hope that they throw some things at Utah State they haven't seen this season. But no, I I, I think they 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 got they got to get active up front, and they've got to make they can't let Bonner you know, do you know get loose. But you were mentioning the running game. Calvin Tyler is a guy that's familiar to Oregon State fans obviously because he played at Oregon State for four years before he transferred to Utah State and he's their he's their leading running back and he's been important to him he's 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 averaging four and a half yards a carry he's six touchdowns that he's their number one number one back in terms of you know scoring touchdowns and and uh rushes and 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 rushing yards and you know he'll know or he'll know Oregon State's defense and offense pretty well so I'm sure there won't be a you know a, a ton of secrets. I mean, I I as I mean, I'm sure the coaches can probably figure out most of the stuff. So there's probably not a lot he can tell them. But uh, on the other hand, Oregon State knows Calvin Tyler pretty well, so you know they may they may have a few tricks you know to go up against him. I did notice there's one guy, Andrew Peasley. He's a he's a quarterback. He he looks like he plays a little bit. Runs the ball a little bit, throws a little bit. He's a he's from Lagrand, so he's he's probably the most prominent Oregonian on on Utah State's roster. It looks like they throw him in there every now and then because he's he's thrown fifty one times this year. What has um, what has Smith said about their offense? 
Well, I mean, the usual, the, you know, boy, you know, dynamic, uh, you know, he hasn't said anything, you know, that you wouldn't expect, you, you wouldn't expect him to say, you know, he thinks they're a handful. And, um, I don't know if there's anybody in the Pac 12 that, you know, spreads it out quite as much as Utah State. So that'll be a little bit of a challenge. I mean, maybe, I don't know. I mean, can you think anybody in the Pac 12 that spreads it out quite, quite like they do? I mean, is Washington State not really, I suppose. Um, uh, Washington, Washington State used to, but maybe not as much. But they now they do a lot, but maybe not like this. Uh, yeah, maybe Washington State, USC a little bit. Yeah, and another, I mean another challenge for Oregon State will be you know that no Avery Roberts, and when you're missing your leading tackler going into a game like this, that can't that can't be good. But but I do think that Kyrie Fisher, who will be his replacement, is he's fast and he he's, he proved to be pretty solid the one time he filled in for Roberts when Roberts got hurt. So I don't think they'll fall off too far, you know, with with Fisher in there as opposed to Avery Roberts. All right, so when a team likes to spread you out and throw the ball around, one of the best ways to handle them is to keep the ball out of their hands, to run the football, own time of possession, limit the other team's number of possessions. And Oregon State is built to do just that with one of the best rushing attacks in the country. Uh, the Utah State Aggies against the run allowed 4.4 yards per carry, 162 on the ground. Um, but I would expect, you know, if they did that, playing mostly in their conference, that Oregon State should be living in the 5.5 yard per carry area and surpass 200 plus yards rushing pretty easily. Do you expect the Beavers to be able to dominate in ball control with the running game and maybe frustrate Utah State a bit because their offense will be on the sideline chilling, drinking Kool Aid, or I guess it would be Gatorade. Sorry. Kool-Aid. I don't know Maybe. why that game. What what school in the country would allow their players to drink Kool-Aid on the sideline in a game? We know you say drinking the Kool-Aid, and I said drinking, and it just came out Kool-Aid. So my bad, Gatorade or yeah, uh, some Powerade or water. How about water? That's probably better for you. Yeah. Anyway, go ahead. Or beer. I don't know. You could have uh, just let the Kool-Aid slide, Nick. You know, I could have, but I wasn't going to let you. Uh, no, that, that that's exactly what you would think Oregon State's going to do. This is going to be the best, you know, running game they've faced Utah State's faced all year, and uh, yeah, I mean that makes a lot of sense that you would want you would want to you know keep your defense on the sideline and by controlling the clock and 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 running the ball a lot. But you know, I don't think you know the the formula for Oregon State's been run you know have an effective running game and throw chance Nolan somewhere between eighteen and twenty two, twenty three times in the game and pick your spots with the play action pass and that's when they seem to play at their best the the problem for Oregon State will be is they have got Utah State's got four guys that have got double digit tackles for loss and as you know it just takes one of those to blow up a drive I mean you can go first and 10 second and seven then then an attack for loss and all of a sudden you're third and 12 and so um you know you you, you definitely want to you definitely got to be mindful of, of some of these guys that can get in the backfield in a hurry, like Justin Rice and Nick Henninger, um, you know, Marcus Moore, Byron Vaughn. They're all 11, 11, 14, 13 tackles for loss this season. So uh, that's a lot. I, I don't know where they rank nationally on that, but I got to believe they're in the top 25. Um, so 
that that's going to be that's going to be a concern. But I I think Oregon State's offensive line is going to be the best one Utah State's faced all season. Exactly. So so whether you know are they doing this against the Wyoming's and New Mexico's and and Air Forces of the world and can they do it against an Oregon State? You know that that remains to be seen. Now, to just compare to the Washington State game, even though, again, that was three months ago, Washington State did a good job against Utah State's offense, holding their passing game to 219. But, you know, Utah State didn't do a bad job either, holding Washington State to 350 or 60 yards, excuse me. Um, so maybe there's not much to glean out of all of that, but at least it shows that a Pac-12 team did do, do, do a good job of containing Utah State's offense to a certain extent, even though Utah State won the game. Um so even if we believe that Oregon State's going to run the football well in this game, which I would imagine that they would, I would be shocked if they didn't get 225 or so. Uh, <clears throat> I also believe that Utah State's probably going to have some success through the air, put up some points, and that that means that our main man, Chance Nolan, we've been talking about him all season, both good and bad, uh, is going to have to make some plays. And this this passing defense is not necessarily, you know, great. They're not bad, but not great. And he has had, as I said, up and down season. And there's been some times when he's had to step up and he didn't. Sometimes when he has, do you think he's ready for this type of a game, this type of spotlight? Well, I mean, as, as has been the case all season with Oregon State, the start is just huge for these guys. When they play well, they start, they start fast. When they don't play well, they get behind, you know, by double digits and it's usually on the road. So, you know, I think, and that, and that's not just an all. That's just not a defensive deal. I mean, when they fell behind on those by those big scores in in some of those games, the second half of the season, it's because the the offense came out and and dropped a couple of three and outs to start the game. So, uh, you know, they need to start better. And and the one the one road game where Chance did play well was. I, I'm not going to say he played well. He played okay in some of the other ones too, but the one he played great in was the one in at USC, which happened to be in LA, which is his, you know, he's from that area. Um, so I, maybe there's, maybe there'll be a little bit of comfort being, you know, sort of back, back in the home area, but, but yeah, he's got to, he, you know, he's got to be, he can't throw the ball 40 times. He, he's, they need to get the running game going and then he needs to pick his spots with, with, the, with the passing game. And he's, he's really good. He's really good in the, in the play action pass and those short, you know, say 10 to 15, 17 yard throws. Those are, those are, you know, those are his bread and butter. So if they can get, you know, some of that going, I think you know he'll he'll be effective. All right, let's get your uh, let's get your prediction before we get into some other Beavers talk. What, what, what's your score prediction right now? What'd you do in your sneak peek? Well, I didn't do one for the bowl game because I've been writing what? about this stuff for I've been writing about this stuff for two weeks, but so I haven't actually come up with an official pick yet. Um, then why'd I'm, you put it on a rundown? Because I just did. <laughs> I had to get you back for the Kool Aid thing. You didn't like yeah, it. Yeah. Well, I. Um, right. <laughs> I mean, I'm leaning. I'm leaning Oregon State. Um, I'm thinking leaning. somewhere. Well, if they don't win this game, they better not come home. <laughs> I'm leaning Oregon State somewhere in the neighborhood of 38 to 31, somewhere in that neighborhood. 
Uh, I haven't nailed down a final score, but I'm thinking somewhere between a five and seven point margin. So for you, so for you betters out there, that might mean bet Utah State, I guess, because I'm going under the eight point spread, I suppose. But uh, um, yeah, I'm thinking it's going to be. I think Oregon State's going to win. I think it's going to be fairly close, but somewhere between you know a field goal and a touchdown win. Wow. Okay. I think Oregon State's going to cover. <clears throat> I think they're going to run the ball very, very well in this game. They're going to frustrate Utah State's passing attack as well, not dominate them or you know completely wipe them out, but they're going to frustrate them enough, one, because they're not going to be able to pick up a ton of yards at will, and two, because they're going to spend some time on the sideline watching Oregon State just grind Utah State's defense. Uh, so I like the Beavers 34-24. I thought you were going to say they're going to, they're they're going to lose because they're going to spend so much time on the sideline drinking Kool Aid. They're going to be they're going to be they're going to be weighted down by the fourth quarter. <laughs> a sugar rush is going to wear off. That's and they're right. Going to fall apart. Nah, man. I, I I like the Beavers in this game, and I you know winning a game like this. I mean, you we talked about this earlier when the bowl matchups were set, where it was like some people were like, oh, what is it? What's it going to mean to beat a Utah State? You know, it's not as sexy as if you beat another Power 5 team. But if you can go out there and, you know, look very, very strong against a 10-3 and 3 Utah State team, I, I think that bodes well for them. And so, you know, I kind of hope for their sake they can go out there and have a really good showing, and that helps the program moving forward. The last thing you want, you know, is to lose a game against a mid-major in a bowl game like this. I mean, Utah State's good, but you want to be able to beat them. But Beat them convincingly, and I think thirty-four twenty-four is going to be the score, and they're going to do just that. Well, plus, plus, you know, you win the game, then then you finish the season eight and five. Well, that that sounds good. I mean, that sounds a yeah. lot to me. That sounds a lot better than seven and six. Oh yeah, eight and five also gives you a shot. I don't know that it's you know a great shot, but it gives you a shot to be in the year in the top twenty-five. Um, and that would be. I mean, that's again, that's it's it's just something that goes in the record book, but. I mean, if you could say you end the season as a top twenty-five team for Oregon State, that's that's something. That's something. Absolutely. Where are they right now? They're well. They're not in the top twenty-five. No, and I they, know. But where, are they getting votes? Well, yeah, they've got some. But I mean, you know how the whole bowl season goes. It's it it, it you know those bottom ten teams <clears throat> can fluctuate pretty pretty rapidly. And so, you know, if they were to win big and finish eight and five and you know they got a shot at they got a shot at you know maybe twenty three twenty four twenty five somewhere in there depending on what else happens during the final couple weeks of the of twenty twenty one. All right, we'll see what happens. But that okay. definitely is not going to happen if they're seven and six. I mean, so no, not at all, not at all. Okay, some news late uh, recent news that uh, Trent Bray was named the official. Defensive coordinator, the interim tag was removed. He took over after the Colorado State debacle when they lost 37-34 in overtime. And that came after the other debacle when they lost 39-25 at Cal. Dude, they gave up 76 points in back-to-back games to Cal and Colorado. And weren't both offenses just atrocious all season? I'm not mistaken mm, on that. Pretty close, yeah. Yeah. And so then, you know, after that, they played Stanford and only gave up 14. Of course, Stanford's not that good, but Arizona State was pretty good this season, only allowed 10. Oregon, a different story, but hey, we'll forgive them for that. But anyway, what do you think about that news? Was that expected? I thought it was about a 75% chance that's where he was going to go. 
unless you know Jonathan just connected with somebody outside the you know, outside the staff. But I think all along he'd been he's been watching Trent pretty closely, and he he liked the way he interacted with players and how they reacted to him. He liked how he simplified you know certain aspects of the defense and and you know made it easier for him to run things. He and it's it's hard not to like you know Trent's enthusiasm. I mean you just need to go to one practice to see how how wired the guy is at a practice. He's he's all over the place. Um so you know Jonathan said he talked to I talked to him last night about it a little bit. He said he talked to you know a number of people outside, you know with you know, not not formal formal interviews. You know, you'd bring him in and sit him in his office and talk to him. But they talked over the phone to a number to a number of people, and and he said it just kept coming back to Trent every time. Um, and so I, I'm, you know, he's the guy's thirty nine. He's been a coach for fifteen years. It's not like you know he's he's. I mean, I'm just I just noticed the other, today that I mean, Oregon's Oregon. The head coach is what thirty five. And the coordinators what thirty four and thirty one, so I mean shoot, Trent's Trent's, you know, thirty nine. So it's not like he's inexperienced by any means. Um yeah, Jonathan just I, I think he just as time wore on, he just felt like, you know, that he was he was the guy he wanted to he wanted to stake this defense behind the next couple of years. I did ask him if he um had talked to Jimmy Lake. He said, "Well, yeah, I mean, we talked, but it wasn't it wasn't really a formal interview or anything." And uh, he said he's got so many other things going on that you know that was never really a consideration. But but I felt like I needed to ask him that since they have a relationship, and you know, people were kind of thinking, you know, Jimmy would be a he'd be a fit. You know, I don't know if he'd be a fit, but at least they knew each other from previous jobs. So. Um, but yeah, Trent Bray, it'll be interesting. We'll talk to him tomorrow, Thursday. Um, be interesting to see if he has any thoughts on, you know, moving forward, whether, you know, he wants to keep the three, four, or if he, you know, he'd like to go to something else. And, um, I'm sure there's some things, you know, he's not going to, not going to bring up about what he wants to do, but I think, you know, I, maybe, I, I don't know what, where he wants to take this defense, but, yeah, I'm sure what you're going to see is is the energy. I mean, the energy he brings is is sure to rub off on on the on the defense. All right. Well, today when we're recording this podcast is Wednesday, the first National Signing Day, and Oregon State, according to both rivals and twenty four seven, has signed sixteen players. It looks like on twenty four seven and rivals, they're all three star kids. Except rivals has the linebacker from Florida. Uh, Melvin Jordan rated as a four-star recruit. Doesn't seem like a very bad haul at all for them. They're ranked 48th on 24-7. Rivals right now has them 53rd. Uh, what do you make of this class so far for the Beavers? Yeah, I mean, you know how some of this stuff goes, though. If if some of these guys had signed at, say, USC or Florida or somewhere, <laughs> they'd all of a sudden be a four-star guy. So, you know, there's a number of guys on here, I think, could be four star type guys, but it's for sure the best class Jonathan's signed, you know, in his four years uh, at Oregon State. I mean, they, it's, it's a little heavy with offensive linemen because they're going to lose, they're going to lose some this year and next year. And they need to kind of replenish, 
you know, the ranks there. So I think there's, I want to say there's four offensive linemen out of the, or no, there's one, two, one, two, three, four, four, yeah, four. Yeah. And, and one of and at least one of them, Nathan Elu, he, he, he might be, he might be ready to play as soon as next year. If, you know, if, if they needed him to play, I don't know whether they need him to play, but there's a lot of guys on this roster, on this, on this class that, they promise, uh, and boy, I'm going to butcher some of these names, but Matthias Malachi Donaldson, he's an outside linebacker from Southern California. He was actually at practice, uh, today. And I mean, he, he looks the part he's a six, five outside linebacker. Um, I know, you know, some schools late were chasing him like USC. Um, they love the running back. Um, Shoot, I'm blanking on his name at the moment. Uh, Damian Martinez from from Texas. Um, I, I know he's going to get a good long look um, when camp starts in August, because I mean there, we don't know whether B.J. Baylor will be back, and you know, and some of these other guys. But he's he's a guy that that could be he could be a regular right away, if, just just based on 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 what he looks like on paper and, and video. But it's yeah, it's a, it's Jonathan was pretty excited about the class, and you know what you kind of like about about this class is that you know they had to work a lot late. They had to work a lot late in the in the um, uh, you know in the last week or so to hold off some other schools to keep some of these guys, and you know what that says is that these guys were wanted by other programs, and so that wasn't always the case for some of Jonathan's other classes. I mean, they didn't have to work too hard to keep. I think that you know some of the eighteen and nineteen class on most are guys. So you know, it's a you know it shows that they they're getting guys that other you know other coaches would like to have. So that's important. And then you want to bring them in and and coach them up and maybe redshirt some and let them add some weight and experience. And next thing you know, by the time they're redshirt sophomores, they're actually four star caliber. You know, that's always that's always the trick for a program like Oregon State. Some mm-hmm. of the guys Oregon gets like Oregon will get a ton of four star guys. But, you know, when you go back and look at the classes later, like half the four-star guys were more like two-star guys, <laughs> not just Oregon, other programs as well. So sometimes the volume of four-star guys, which is, I think overall you'd rather have more four-star guys than not. But if you are very good at player evaluation and you're very good at development, then those three-star guys can end up being just as good, if not better, than a lot of the over overly inflated four-star guys that are signed across the country. Uh, what do you, what do you think about, um, or have you done any looking into the quarterback at much at all? Travis, uh, Throckmorton. No, I know he was, he's another, uh, three-star guy. I know Jonathan talked a little bit about him today. Um, you know, he's, he's mostly a pro style guy, but he, but he has the ability to get out and run a little bit. Um, yeah, he'll be a guy that you, you would think they're going to want a red shirt next year. Because you know, they've got guys on the roster they think could play next year, starting with Chance Nolan. But you know they've got probably three, at least three or four guys that will be <clears throat> thrown in the mix to start. So you would think Travis Throckmorton's probably you know got a redshirt year ahead of him next year. But I no, I know they like him. He's he's a, he's he's a good player. And are they expecting them to sign many more players by the the next signing day, or do you know what their their count's going to be? They're they're pretty much done for 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 this signing period. Um, they they actually signed quite a few. Um, Sixteen, I think here. 
Yeah, I, I know, but but you, they like to leave a lot of room for transfer, transfer portal, portal. And, and things like, and everybody's <laughs> and everybody's doing that. So I know they, they they'll they'll chase a few probably between now and February, but the bulk of the class is is what you see right here, the sixteen players. Okay, anything else we need to talk about? No, I don't think how's so. How's the basketball team? How's the, how, how are the men's and women's basketball teams doing? Oh right? my god. Yeah, how many hours do you have? I mean, one one and nine. That's. I mean, I I don't. I mean, I don't think anybody saw this coming. But no. But let's let's not let's not be Debbie Downer here. Let's 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 uh, let's keep it positive. Let's save that. Let's save that for the new year. Yeah, let's keep it. Let's keep it positive here. Let's keep it moving. Keep it positive. Okay, big bowl game Saturday. Be sure to check it out. Four thirty p.m. on ABC, I believe. Right. Okay. Oh, one more thing. Did you get any more information on the Jimmy Kimmel aspect of this? Is there going to be anything? We talked about it a little bit last time, but there's any more information on Jimmy Kimmel's connection or if he's like going to do the coin toss or a ref or something like that? <laughs> you know, all I, I mean, he'll, he'll be around the, the game, the game, but I don't know what in, in what capacity he'll be. I mean, the big, the big <clears throat> event is tomorrow night where the players are going to his show. Um, very limited too. They they only allowing the players and Jonathan to go. No no assistant coaches. No obviously no media. None of that. So, uh, but the acts are the the musical acts are pretty strong for tomorrow night. Elton John and um, oh shoot, I'm blanking on his name. Uh, <laughs> God, getting old. Um, but yeah, there's two two strong musical acts tomorrow. Although I did ask. Yeah. Anyway, so yeah, no, I, I don't know exactly. But I I don't know what I don't know what I don't I don't know what you know Jimmy's going to be doing on game day that he'll be there. Um, but I did. He he was on a podcast I heard early in the week where he talked. He talked about bowl games for quite. It was probably fifteen or twenty minutes, and I think I think he got into this thing on a bet more than anything else. It sounded like to me. Um, but, uh, he, he seemed reasonably excited to be the, the title sponsor to a bowl game. It looks like the other musical guest is Ed Sheeran. There is they are. Ed, Ed, Ed Sheeran. Come on. You've heard of him, haven't you? No, no. I, I just for a minute couldn't think of it. Was no, Ed no, 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 no. I almost said, I almost pronounced it differently. Ed, Sheer- Ed Sheeran. Yeah. Okay. That's H-E-E threw me off. He's got a couple good songs. You know, you know his big hit, uh, "The Shape of You," was basically stolen from "No Scrubs" TLC. Did you know that? A little trivia. I did not, but I heard that song about fifty times driving from <laughs> driving my daughter from Washington State to Spokane um, and back. When we were visiting colleges a few years back, and <clears throat> here's another fun fact: I've been to both. I've seen concerts of Elton John and. And Ed Sheeran in the last two years. Nice. How's that? That's pretty. That's you know, you're impressive. Sports writer. <laughs> I, I don't even go to. I, I hardly go to any concerts. Those are just two guys I've actually seen. All right. Well, fans enjoy the game, and hopefully, on the next Beaver Banter podcast, we'll be talking about a Beavers Bowl victory. I'm Aaron Fentress. He is Nick Dashel. Be sure to click the subscribe button and give us a positive review. And we will see you. Next time.